please be seated. Well, good morning to you on this dreary and a little bit rainy day. I'm glad that you are here with bright, shining faces, even in the midst of that. I also want to give a greeting to those who are listening in our fellowship hall. God's peace and grace be with you this morning as we continue to learn from God's word today. Well, as we do begin today in a new sermon series, I have a confession to make. I am a Norwegian. I know. I know that comes as a shock to some of you. I never disclosed this to the call committee because I was fearful of what the repercussions might be. I'm a Norwegian, and I'm proud of my Norwegian heritage. My father was 100% Norwegian, and as you can imagine, that influenced deeply our lifetime growing up, and it still does to this day. Yes, I eat lutefisk every Christmas. Yes, buried in cream sauce, buried in butter, and mixed in with the mashed potatoes. That's how you do it. Okay? But we have Norwegian cookies around our house, and there are many different Norwegian symbols and things. We have little Norwegian flags that go all the way around my mother's Christmas tree. It's a big deal for us in the Vic family, and it's influenced every different aspect of our lives together. It's influenced us culturally. It's influenced us emotionally in a lot of ways, and it's had its influence on us spiritually, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, because we are starting into our new sermon series right now entitled, That's the Spirit. We want to get to know the third person of the Trinity, the one known as the Holy Spirit. And I know that for some of us, especially those of us who may come from Scandinavian or Northern European backgrounds or have been a part of different mainline denominational churches, this may be a foray into unfamiliar territory. Why would I say that? Because the reality is this. Many of us who were raised in old mainline churches, and by that I mean Roman Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, Reformed, Baptist, many of those great churches that you see on the corners of towns and communities all across our land. If you were raised in one of those mainline denominational settings, it's very possible that you were never truly exposed to or taught or instructed on the particular person of the Holy Spirit, or as some of you may have heard growing up, the Holy Ghost, which made it even more mysterious and a little bit strange, right? The Holy Ghost. As a matter of fact, that reminds me of a a not-so-funny joke, but I'm going to share it anyway, because it's a Sven and Oli joke, and a Norwegian has to share a Sven and Oli joke from time to time. So here goes. Sven and Oli lived in a small town together, and Sven was the local Lutheran pastor in town. And Oli, he worked out at the graveyard and was a grave digger and helped in many ways with the services out there. So one day Sven called up Oli, who had worked with him side by side many times, and said, Oli, I have a bit of a problem today. It seems I'm not feeling too good, and you know that we have a graveside service today out there at the graveside. And so I was wondering if perhaps you could go out there and just say a few words over the, over the beloved. Oli said, well, Sven, that's, that's quite a question to ask of me, but I will certainly do my best, Pastor, for you. So Oli went out to the graveside and was there with the family and with the deceased in front of him, and uh, he was getting a little bit nervous, so he said, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, in the name of the Father... 
and uh, in the name of the Son, and uh, in the Holy Ghost. I told you it wasn't that funny. It wasn't particularly appropriate. But this is the reality. It is actually relevant to what we're talking about today. Because for some of us, it's difficult to try and put words to just who the Holy Spirit really is. See, many of us are very comfortable talking about God the Father. When somebody says, would you tell me a little bit about God the Father? We say, yes, God the Father, the all-present, all-power, all-powerful, and, and ever-with-us Father of the universe, creator of all, the one who we are invited to call our heavenly Father. Yes, thank you, God the Father. And if we're asked to explain about the Son, the second part of the Trinity, again, we say, yes, Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man, the Savior of my soul, the one who has come to rescue us all, and my dear, dear friend, yes, that's Jesus. And then when we're asked to say something about the Holy Spirit, we say, yeah, he's a, well, um, he's a kind of out there. He's just kind of out there. He's a little bit mysterious, maybe even a little bit spooky since we call him the Holy Ghost sometimes, right? It's just a little bit strange, a little bit awkward. We don't know specifically what to say about this third person of the Trinity. So how do we move forward with this? Because the reality of it is there are other brothers and sisters in our Christian family who are much more comfortable talking about the Holy Spirit. Some of them get pretty amped up about it. These are our brothers and sisters known as Pentecostals. Some of you may know some Pentecostals. These people are hands in the air, excited, joy-filled, awesome, and sometimes a little bit out there for us, right? They have some sentiments that make us Norwegian, Northern European, Midwesterners feel a little bit nervous. But it's true, they have this vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit, and there's things for us to learn there. So how is it that we, as us Midwesterners, can come to know the Holy Spirit in a greater way? Where do we start? Well, here's my proposal. Let's allow Jesus to introduce us to the Holy Spirit. Let's let Jesus do the introductions, because he does. All throughout Scripture, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. He, he explains the way the Holy Spirit works, who he is. And we can trust Jesus, right? I trust Jesus with everything, so I can trust that he will show us exactly what we need to know about the Holy Spirit. He will reveal to us perfectly what we need to know. And I know that Jesus wants us to know more and have a greater experience of the Holy Spirit. So let's let Jesus introduce us to the Holy Spirit. And the way that we do that is right with this passage of Scripture that we read from the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, we find in this passage of Scripture this introduction to a couple of characters, a character who then introduces Jesus, who then introduces the Holy Spirit. How does this all work? Well, it starts with talking a little bit about John the Baptist. Who is John the Baptist? Well, after 400 years of silence from the prophets, there is a prophet alive and well in the land of Israel. Praise God. And what a prophet he is. 
John the Baptist, this ruddy man, this man clothed in camel's hair and eating from the the fields and whatever it is that happens to be out there, the locusts and the honey. This is a wild man, but he is an amazing prophet. Now, even talking about prophets can start people to think about prophecy, and if you've ever been in any of these places that talk about this, you might be going, oh my, what are we going to talk about today? Trust me. The word that John comes to bring is a word that the prophets all throughout the Old Testament had brought about God again and again and again. And it's a pretty straightforward and simple message, and it's never been shared more clearly than it was by the prophet John, and it's this. Straighten up and get your act together. This was the message repeated over and over again by the prophets to God's people. Sometimes they heard it well, sometimes they didn't hear it at all, but it was this same message. Straighten up, get your act together. Now that's not a bad message at all. It's not a bad message to hear this important message from God. As a matter of fact, Jesus would refer back to John the Baptist as the greatest prophet who had ever lived. The most powerful prophet who had ever spoken. John, at the peak of this time in history. Jesus calling him the greatest of the Old Testament. The greatest of the prophets. Bringing the most important message more clearly and directly and transparently and authentically than any other prophet before. This is John. And what does John have to say about Jesus? Well, he says it right here in verse 7. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. John the Baptist, who is baptizing those folks in the river, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of their sins, declares this greatest of all prophets, declares that the one coming after him, Jesus, is greater still, is more powerful still. John, the one who baptizes in water, declares that Jesus is coming and he will baptize in the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus the Baptist. That is who John introduces us to. And that is what Jesus comes to do. It's one of the central things that Jesus comes to do. He comes to baptize his followers in the Holy Spirit. The same way that they would be immersed under the waters of holy baptism and the same way that they would be put under the waters in the Jordan River by John himself. This immersion into the Holy Spirit is what Jesus brings. A dousing with the Holy Spirit. It must be important if we're supposed to get that much Holy Spirit upon us and in us. Of course it is. Because that's what Jesus emphasizes. This baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now this is the baptism that Jesus wants for us. 
It's the baptism that he expects to give us and for us to receive so that this work of the Holy Spirit would flow over us and out of us into every place and every corner around us. But now why was Jesus' baptism so much greater than John's? Why is it declared that one would be so much more powerful, so much more important than the other? Well, here's the thing. John's baptism was an outward baptism designed to wipe clean those who came to receive it, to help them become more religious and morally straighten up. Now, is that bad? Is it bad when somebody decides to transform their life or change some activity or action in their life from bad to good? No, of course not. There's nothing wrong with being challenged to straighten up and fly right. Anybody here who had a parent who ever told them to straighten up and fly right? How about a a grandparent? What about a teacher or a coach or a close friend? Somebody who was looking at you, cared enough about you to say, dude, you got to get this right. You got to change this part of your life. It's not working. For me, it was a fifth grade teacher, Ron Lehman. I'm so grateful for Ron Lehman because he was the first male elementary school teacher I had. And I had great elementary school teachers, but Ron in particular, when I was in fifth grade, noticed something about me. He noticed that I was the guy who always seemed to have his homework eaten by a dog, and I didn't own a dog. (laughs) I would get sloppy and lazy and would leave things behind. It would not bring things up there. And Ron saw more than that in me, and he called me out. He said, you can do better than this, Darren. I know you can do better than this. So straighten up. Get going. You can do this. And it was an inspiration to me. And it helped me. It encouraged me to try harder. And folks, there are things in life that it's okay to try harder at. And things that we can be honest and grateful for. It's a good thing when somebody who's been a lifelong alcoholic makes a decision to stop drinking alcohol and get clean and sober. That's a good thing. It's a good thing when somebody who has some other form of addiction or has anger management issues and finally says, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I need to go into some therapy. I need to get some help. I need to change this about myself. There's nothing wrong with that. Those things are good. It's good. But here's the thing. The message of Jesus is not about being a little bit better, trying a little bit harder, acting a little more religious. That's not the message of Jesus. Again, is there something wrong with that? What what could possibly be wrong, pastor, with somebody deciding to clean up something in their life and get morally straight? Isn't that the purpose of religion? Yes, it is the purpose of religion. It's just not the purpose of Jesus. It's not the purpose of Jesus. Because while John comes and brings an outward cleaning, 
which is the purpose and, and point of religion to straighten you out and get you to occasionally feel some more religious feelings, not all bad. It's not the point of Christianity or the point of Jesus. Jesus who comes to give a baptism of the Holy Spirit that works from the inside out. It's the difference of occasionally feeling those religious feelings or those impulses or sometimes feeling bad about what you're not doing and hoping to do a little bit better next week. It's about an entirely different way of living It's about an inflow of the Holy Spirit from outside of us, something totally alien to who we are, that is offered to us through God himself, that Jesus wants to introduce us to, just like he introduced his first disciples to this, to this truth, this truth that there is a different way of living. There is a way of living that is the way of the Spirit, and it's a way of freedom. It's a way of wholeness. It's a way of humility. It's a way of service. And it's a way of doing things that we can't possibly come up with ourselves. And many of us have tried. I'm sure you have. I'm sure there have been times where somebody told you that the the key to being a better Christian is that you just need to read your Bible more. The key to being a better Christian is you need to pray more. The key to being a better Christian is you need to have a quiet time and devotion more. More, more, more. And every time you start, a few weeks later you stop, and now you're right back where you were only worse off. Because look at how I have failed trying to fix myself. Christianity, friends, and the message of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit is not a self-help manual. It is a surrender. It's a laying down of any aspiration or idea that we can possibly fix ourselves. And it's coming to Jesus with open hands saying, Jesus, I can't, but you can. And you have given me an incredible gift, the gift of your life and death on the cross to pay the price for my sins, the reality of your resurrection in the power of the Holy Spirit and the pouring out of that same Holy Spirit into my life to bring a resurrection life into me and into you. It's not just for the special people. It's for everyone as a follower of Jesus who will simply come to him and say, Jesus, I can't. I am tired of do-good religion, of just trying to fix myself. I want your work to transform me from the inside out. And it makes all the difference in the world. It opens up a new spiritual dimension within us to live differently. And why is this important? Because I believe it's a new day for the church. I've served the last six years as a senior pastor down at a fine church in Sioux City, Iowa. And I'm so glad for the privilege I had to serve there. There are wonderful people there, people who I will cherish in my heart forever, folks who were very difficult to say goodbye to because of their love for Jesus and their desires to want to serve him. But I went down there trying to prove to everybody there that I was smart enough, strong enough, and powerful enough in my own will and intellect to lead that church. To lead them where God needed them to go. 
And when someone would come to me and say, Pastor, we're just waiting for you to show the way, I'd say, yes, that's what I'm here to do. And then I'd go back into my office and sit behind my desk and say, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, I guess I'll just put on a, a happy face. I guess I'll just come up to be the answer man. I'll, I'll look for some more techniques. I'll try some new cool and neat things that people have said to try to really help your church grow and to make more disciples. I'll try some of those things and I'll convince others that here's the latest, greatest, next coolest thing to be able to bring people into a fellowship with Jesus Christ as his disciples. And friends, it was exhausting and it left me full of fear all the time. Because I couldn't do it. I can't lead you in my own strength. Please perish the thought. Last week I shared with you about discipleship and about making disciples. And I, and I said something that some people took kind of as a stunning statement. I said, you know what, we have to go make new disciples. You know how we're going to do that? I don't know. I don't know. And some went, I, is this really the guy that we brought to lead us here? He doesn't have any idea how to do this? But what I didn't say is this. I don't think anybody really has this figured out right now. A lot of people are trying a lot of different things, and I commend them for that. There are things that we will try too, but here's the bottom line. It's going to take a work of the Holy Spirit in this congregation and in congregations all across our land, if we have any hope of bringing people into a salvation relationship with Jesus again, it won't be because you come up with a better technique. It won't be because we launch a better program to get that done. It'll be because God's people fall on their faces before the Lord and say, Lord, we can't do this without you. Holy Spirit, come and help us, empower us, show us the way, because I don't know how to do it, you don't know how to do it, but Jesus knows how to do it. Absolutely. And I have 100% confidence in Jesus. I have 100% confidence that the Holy Spirit that he offers to each of us is exactly what we need. And if we will open ourselves up more and more and more and more to that rich work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God will show us, and then none of us will get the credit, and he'll get all the glory. See, that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep growing. But I'm not going to be anything other than what I am. And in some ways, I'm still the, the fifth grade student who gets his homework eaten by the dog. But I'm not afraid because we're not called to be led by a spirit of fear. And neither are you. And there's plenty of fear to be had if we look around at the culture around us, the neighborhood around us, the world around us. There's plenty of reasons for people in churches or outside in the streets to go, oh, it's all falling apart. Oh, we've just got to huddle together and hope that the best comes. We're not to be led with a spirit of fear. As Romans 8, 14 through 17 tells us, we have been given a spirit of sonship, not a spirit of fear. A spirit of being a child of God, a spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. This is the spirit we've been given. That spirit of love that casts out fear. As John teaches us in his epistles. Friends, it's a new way, and it's going to take 
us surrendering more and more of ourselves. It's going to take us being willing to, to lay down some notions and things that we've held on to too tightly for too long. Some of them will be places that will frustrate us. Some of them will be places that we will try and we'll do our best to listen and we won't quite be listening right and we'll fall and we'll make some mistakes and, and we'll figure it out as we go along. That's okay as long as we trust that this isn't a journey being led by anybody other than Jesus. Because as long as Jesus is leading us and pointing us to the source that we need, the baptism and indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we can't go wrong. We can't go wrong. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Today there's an opportunity for some to come and receive prayer, and there may be a variety of different ways that you wanna receive prayer today, all sorts of different things that are happening in our lives. But if some of you simply want to come forward to somebody and just say, you know what, I just want more of the Holy Spirit active in my life. That's a wonderful thing to pray. Come and ask somebody to simply pray that prayer over you and then trust that it's done. Trust that that's the gift that God wants to give. It's just his abiding presence through his Holy Spirit in your life. That's the first thing. And then over the next few days, I want you to join me in prayer. Because on Tuesday, the whole staff leadership is going to be heading out on a retreat, and we're going to be spending some time together, getting to know each other a little better. And I'm hopeful that good things will emerge from that. But the way that I know good things will emerge from that is if we're trusting that the Holy Spirit will be meeting us there and going ahead of us there. I'm asking you, people of God, to be praying for us, to be praying for the leadership of our church as we head off into uncharted waters. It's going to be a good journey because we know who our guide is and I trust him completely. So receive some prayer today and then continue to pray today as we get introduced once again to the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and your love endures forever and your mercies are new every morning and your hope abides in each of us, and all of that is a gift. It's nothing we can earn. It's nothing we can work to do. It's nothing we can build up hype to have happen. Lord, we want a genuine move of your Holy Spirit in our lives because that is the gift that you promised through your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, you said that you would send the Holy Spirit to be present with each of us and that that is how you would be with us always to the end of the age. Is by your spirit. So spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us today. Mold us, shape us, fill us, use us. We love you and we thank you. And we pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen.